Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Substack page. Well, guys, we made it. Uh, this is the first episode of this podcast under a Biden administration. The Trump administration is officially done. He is gone. He left. He went to Mar-a-Lago. And now... We have a whole new administration and it feels weird. Like I can sit here on a Sunday afternoon and record and I'm 96% sure there's no news breaking right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird feeling. It's one of those things that like you always knew it was going to happen, but then when it happens, it feels like, I don't know, like this is just kind of weird. I think everybody's trying to find their footing right now and try to figure out kind of where we're where we are now without all of the the chaos and the insanity of the Trump era because it is now officially done. So that's not to say that all of our problems have been solved. We still have lots and lots and lots of things to worry about and to deal with and it is increasingly looking like we are going to have new and special problems to deal with, but at least um well we we made it through the Trump years. <laughs> We made it, guys. So I will go ahead and start because we have a lot to talk about from the past week. So let me go ahead and start with the unemployment numbers, which are still very, very sad. On the week ending on January 16th, there was 900,000 initial unemployment claims filed. Obviously still insanely high, a little bit down from last week. Last week was about 960,000, if memory serves. So better than last week, but still that's 900,000 new claims. Oh dear. Um, As far as what Congress is doing about it, um, obviously we just had Biden's inauguration this past week, so things have kind of been up in the air. So maybe next week or the week after that, we'll be taking up the, the stimulus bill again. But Like I pointed out last week, that is going to be a whole battle right there because they're trying to put in the $15 minimum wage, tying that into the bill that would flesh out the $2,000 that is supposed to be going out. So where that's going to land, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Given the fact that we still have this many unemployed people, I don't think $15 minimum wage is a particularly good idea right now. Not that it's ever a particularly good idea to do a blanket federal minimum wage like that. But right now, it's just really not the time. (laughs) Plus, I mean, if you really are concerned about getting direct stimulus into people's hands, like this is just this is not the time to put in controversial things like a federal minimum wage of $15 that is going to hamstring that bill. Like if you want to do this, do a clean bill do the direct stimulus and then deal with all this other stuff later. Stop trying to shove your personal pet projects into stimulus bills. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. And I I had this same problem when Republicans did it and they tried to shove a repeal of Section 230 into their stimulus bill. It's like, no, these things don't, these things don't go together. We don't need to deal with all of this at once and stop trying to kind of backdoor this stuff. So what's going to end up with direct stimulus payments? kind of up in the air right now. Um, As far as how this is going to shake out with any additional federal unemployment assistance, again, also up in the air, depending on what happens with this bill. Um, Given that the unemployment numbers have spiked over the past couple of weeks, um, I think initially the idea was to bring back the federal unemployment at $300 a week instead of $600 a week. Um, 
given the fact that, like I said, we are seeing this spike, I would be surprised if they left it at 300. There's probably going to be some debate about that, how it needs to go probably not back up to 600 a week, but you're probably going to see a push to get between four to 500 a week. So that is going to be a battle. So we shall see what happens with that. There's a lot of things that Congress is going to have to take up in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see exactly what gets happens and what happens and in what order. So um, inauguration. Yeah, Wednesday, January 20th. That was a weird day, kind of. Um, I wrote about this for the Substack, and it, it's weird in the way that we all expected January 20th to be this very awful day, especially after the Capitol riots, after everything that's happened. Ever since the general election, we've like, I, I think everybody kind of still had like, in the back of their mind, like the idea that, you know what, something is going to go horribly wrong here. Something's going to go awry. It's just something bad's going to happen. And actually, nothing bad happened. It was actually a pretty quiet day. And the day started with Donald Trump leaving D.C. He had already stated that he is not going to attend the inauguration of Joe Biden, and he didn't. So he gave a little farewell rally at Joint Base Andrews that it seems that from reporting about 300 people showed up to. And the notable exceptions to that were Mike Pence, Mitch McConnell, and Kevin McCarthy, who all decided that it was better for them or more important for them or that they would just plain rather attend Biden's inauguration than to make it to Donald Trump's farewell rally. So take that for what it's worth. Um, there is definitely going to be a schism in the GOP going forward, but that's that's another conversation. So he gives his little his farewell speech and <laughs> in in his normal way, he did not concede the election. He did not mention Biden by name about the best the incoming administration got was, I, I hope they they do a good job. And then <laughs> Trump told everyone, I hope you have a nice life. And then he got on Air Force One and left. And like, that was it. Like, it, it's, it's stark to think about, especially when you think back to his 2017 inauguration speech, the American Carnage speech, and just how batshit insane that was. And then, then to watch it, all end with this very sparsely attended going away rally and then he just got on the plane and left. Like, and then that was it. That was the end of the Trump administration. I don't think anybody expected things to go quite that quietly. And there was a, a lot of shock among his supporters, especially like the kind of people who thought it was a good idea to go do federal crimes in the Capitol building that he just left and didn't pardon any of them. And we'll get to the pardons here in a little while because there's a lot of stuff to get through before we get to that. But yeah, he did not pardon any of the Capitol rioters. And so I guess they're all still on the hook for federal charges and he's in Mar-a-Lago and I don't know exactly how you're supposed to feel about that. But yeah, it just... After after everything, after the last four years, after the last two months, that you just got on the plane and left, real quiet. Like, damn, that, I guess that's the end of that. So then, obviously, later on in the day, we had Biden's inauguration, and that too was a fairly 
quiet affair. Um, For the inauguration, even prior to the Capitol riot, um, it had already been pretty severely limited as to who was going to be able to attend this because of COVID. Um, It was basically invitation only, and they were being very strict with the invites this year. I believe there was only about a thousand people invited. So fairly small crowd actually on the ground. Um, Due to the Capitol riot, and obviously all the increased security around the, the, the Capitol complex, nobody could gather, like there, there was no public gathering on the mall to watch any of this. So you didn't have the large crowd there. You didn't have the large crowd actually at the ceremony. So for me, it actually made for a, a pretty nice situation, honestly. Because of that smaller crowd size, because you didn't have the, the hordes of people at the mall and the, the general tone of the, the ceremony itself. And as always, I always tell you guys this stuff. When you are watching events like this, do not watch them on cable news. Try to watch it through C-SPAN or whatever like raw feed you can find so that you can just watch the event itself without hearing any of the commentary. Because of course the commentary is just slobbering nonsense. But the actual event itself, the actual like inauguration ceremony seemed to have a very kind of subdued air to it. Like it's, it's kind of like everybody there was a little cognizant of the fact that we're still in the middle of a pandemic and that, you know, celebrations are kind of not the thing you do right now. And the inaugural ball did not happen. That had already been canceled due to COVID. All the, the after parties and all the, the luncheons and the other cocktail parties and the fancy dress balls and all that stuff had already been canceled prior to everything. So it was basically just the ceremony itself, which lasted for about an hour and a half. And that was it. Like he, he was sworn in. He gave a 21 minute speech. It was all wrapped up by 1230. And then everybody just kind of went about their day. And it really felt less like the, the coronation that it normally feels like and more just like the swearing in of an elected official. Like, okay, we did the swearing in, we did the thing, you gave the speech, and then everybody kind of went went back to their life. And Biden spent the afternoon in the Oval Office signing a whole mess of EOs. And I hope Bernie Sanders ended up getting that package to the post office, which that's probably the best thing to come out of Inauguration Day was the Bernie memes, because Bernie showed up dressed like he has some other shit to do that day. Like he's gonna go run some errands after this. Like he's got a, he's got this like envelope. Like he's gotta go take it to the post office. I'm here. I've got my coat on. I've got my mittens. I'm just going to sit here and watch Joe's thing, and then I'm gonna go do whatever else I need to do. And it was just hilarious because everybody's seen it by now. I'm sitting in the chair with his legs crossed and his little mittens on and his normal ass brown coat that you've seen him wear like a hundred times before. Like this dude did not get dressed up for this at all. Like. Of course, obviously, when it's D.C., it's January, everybody's got on their heavy overcoats because it's freaking freezing outside. But under the overcoats, you can tell people dress up like you can tell people put on their nice clothes. Bernie did not put on his nice clothes. (laughs) Bernie just showed up wearing what the fuck ever because he had some other shit to do that day, I guess. (laughs) But it was hilarious and people have made so many memes and it was just fun. Like, just a fun meme. So... Yeah, it just, it overall just almost felt like a normal day, which is not what anybody was expecting out of January 20th. So what that means going forward, I don't know, but at least, at least this all happened. At least the inauguration went off without any kind of violence or any kind of interruptions. 
um, even across the country, the the state capitol protests that were supposed to take place, most of them did not. And the ones that did were incredibly sparsely attended. You had a handful of people show up in D.C. to protest at the inauguration because obviously it was already known that security was pretty much had the whole place locked down. Like you're not going to get anywhere close to the inauguration. You're not going to be able to do anything. So most people just stayed home, I guess, or did whatever. But it just kind of all fizzled out into a quiet, peaceful day, which is the best outcome that any of us could have hoped for or expected out of Inauguration Day. So, hooray for that. Hooray for that. There is still talk, though, of keeping some of the National Guard in D.C. until March under the premise that this March 6th thing is still supposed to happen, although I'm not entirely sure where anybody is at with that right now. Um, it was be- before Inauguration Day. Like, obviously, the the expectation was, I don't, I don't know what these people expected to happen on Inauguration Day, but like, like, I mean, the QAnon people and the Stop to Steal people, like, <laughs> there was a lot of very disappointing QAnon people on January 20th because, like, martial law wasn't imposed and the the feds didn't like drop out of the sky and arrest Biden for something or another and like kind of the whole thing kind of came crashing down for some people but there's still like this idea that no March 6th is the real inauguration and so I I don't know given how things kind of fell apart for the 20th I don't really know how many people's hearts are still in March 6th but people but they still want to keep the National Guard in D.C., which, no, just send them home. Let them go home. Let them stop sleeping on the floor, for Christ's sake. Let them go home. And if if circumstances warrant it, you can call them back for March 6th. Like, you don't really need to keep them there between now and March. Like, it's just, there's no reason for that. So, anyway, moving on to the executive orders. I'm going to try to go through this list as quickly as possible because there's a lot on this list from the day one executive orders from the Biden administration. First one being all of the Muslim ban travel bans have been lifted. So there was four of them by the time Trump left. They've all been lifted. Um, The executive orders involving the census, the executive order banning illegal immigrants from being counted in the census, the executive order mandating that citizenship questions need to be asked in the census. Those have been revoked Um, on DACA. Biden put forth an executive order saying that DHS is to preserve and fortify DACA, which we, we, this has already kind of gone through the court systems. And I've talked about this before that they, the way the Trump administration decided to rescind DACA was not legally appropriate. And the person that did it did not have the legal authorization to do it. So technically it should be back on anyway, but here you go. Um, There's still, I think one case floating around in Texas involving the, the, putting DACA back in place. So I, I don't see that going anywhere at this point. So yes, it seems like DACA is back on. Um, the 1776 commission has been kicked to the curb. That is the one that Donald Trump wanted to do to kind of oppose the 1619 project. So that is no longer happening. Um, mask, mask wearing is mandated on federal property now. Um, a lot of the executive orders seem to be based around setting up a more robust COVID infrastructure on the federal level as far as testing and vaccination. So I would expect to see probably in the next couple of weeks, a much more robust federal plan put forth to address the 
the distributing of vaccinations, the distributing of testing. You might actually start seeing the National Guard get involved. It's all kind of up in the air. But a lot of those executive orders seem to be pertaining to getting that that specific infrastructure in place to go forward. And there was a whole controversy about somebody in the Biden administration said that they inherited no plan. And yes and no. (laughs) The plan seemed to have been under the Trump administration that the states would figure it out, and that doesn't seem to be working out so well. So expect to see a little more from the federal level as to a plan on how to get the vaccinations into people's arms in a speedy fashion, because Biden's whole plan has been 100 million doses in 100 days. So it is doable. I, one of the days in the past week, uh, they did do over a million. So it is, it's doable. Like a hundred million in a hundred days is absolutely doable. We we do need to ramp up a little bit on infrastructure to make that happen. So fingers crossed on that. I would like to see a hundred million vaccinations handed out in a hundred days. It's, it's, please, dear God, let's get this show on the fucking road so we can all get back to normal, please. So fingers crossed on that. Um, reopening schools. Biden's plan, as he has announced, he's, he wants K-12 through schools to be reopened in the next 100 days. And so his executive order based around this is instructing the Department of Education um, and Health and Human Services to kind of coordinate with states to do whatever it is that needs to be done in order to make that happen, to give whatever kind of logistical assistance that needs to happen in order to get schools reopened in the next 100 days, which that's great. Like there's there's a lot of this that's actually fairly good. Like it's not all great. (laughs) And some of it is going to be deeply controversial. I'll get to the most controversial one last, but at least we are getting a little bit of hopeful movement towards getting all of this under control, getting kids back in school, getting things back online. Um, As far as the border wall, right now the construction is halted on that and it is probably going to be defunded. But as of right now, the border wall is no longer being built. And the last one, well, no, let me do a couple of these first and then I'll discuss the most controversial one. Um, On the DHS level, they have said that there will be a 100-day deportation ban, which means that anybody here who is not under a deportation order for a violent offense, like all these criminals are still going to be deported and stuff like that, but anybody here who is not in that category, there is a 100-day deportation ban until DHS can figure out what the hell is going on. And also, DHS is no longer enrolling people in the Migrant Protection Plan, the Remain in Mexico Plan which that is being kind of presented as the preface to getting rid of that plan altogether. Um, Because of COVID, we do still have travel restrictions. So it's not as if people can now just present anywhere and come into the country. So we still have travel restrictions based on COVID. But once that starts to get more settled, it seems like there is going to be a plan put forth in place to handle those migrants what that plan is going to be, I don't know. I would really rather Congress be handling all that. But since Congress doesn't seem to be particularly interested in taking up this topic, even though the Biden administration seems to be very interested in immigration, there's a lot uh, of immigration-based chatter coming out of there. A lot of these executive orders are based around immigration. And I'm surprised to see the administration hit 
immigration this early. Um, there is a bill proposed. Um, Republicans have already said that we are not entertaining this. I don't know if it's entirely up to them at this point, but yeah, there does seem to be an emphasis out of the Biden administration to try to handle immigration as soon as possible, which I think is the correct way to handle this. Because if you are going to get a bill through Congress, you need to start doing it now because it's it's going to take a long time to, if it gets done at all, you're going to take years to get it done. So best to get that ball rolling as soon as possible. So hooray for that and hooray for a lot of these other things. And so the controversial one, <laughs> um, he signed an executive order based around discrimination based on gender identity. And what the executive order is based around is the Bostock decision from last year, which I discussed it at the time, but a little brief catch up. Last year, the Supreme Court decided that discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation is de facto discrimination on the basis of sex. And to try to explain how that would work is basically Gorsuch's argument here, and he, he wrote the, the majority opinion, was that, say you work for a company and you're a man and you bring a woman to a company party and your company is okay with that. But if you're a woman and you bring a woman to a company party and your company is not okay with that, that is de facto discrimination on the basis of sex because you're saying it's okay for one sex to engage in a certain activity, but not another. So that's how it was determined it's discrimination on the basis of sex, which is against Title IX of the Civil Rights Act. So what this EO is trying to do is to stretch that Bostock decision onto gender identity. So basically saying that you can't discriminate on the basis of gender identity, which would bring us back to the bathroom conversation and the locker room conversation. So if you were wondering why people were starting to yell about bathrooms again, this is why. I can see this one being legally challenged. I can also see the DACA EO being legally challenged. How far these things will get and who will challenge them and when, I don't know, but I can definitely see both of those being controversial enough that somebody is going to raise a legal challenge to them. We shall see. <laughs> Like I said, this is all very early preliminary stuff, but it's it's interesting to see where exactly the priorities are lying right now, especially as far as executive order stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, Joe Biden is taking the, the stance that he has a pen and a phone, which after four years of nobody saying anything about Trump having a pen and a phone, I don't really know where Republicans are going to get off bitching about any of this because you didn't say anything when it would have been a good idea to say something. I don't know. So probably more rule by EO because Congress just doesn't do anything anymore. I don't know what their job is anymore. So moving on. Before Trump left office, he did issue some pardons. Not the pardons we wanted to see, but some pardons nonetheless. We'll start with who didn't get pardoned, which is obviously, as you know by now, Ross Ulbricht, Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, and Reality Winner. None of them got their pardons. I know a lot of libertarians were holding out hope that maybe Trump would be the guy to do it for nothing other than to say fuck you to the establishment. That did not happen, sadly. Uh, the people that did get pardons, or notably Steve Bannon, which he had not been 
actually convicted of a crime yet. And this is in relationship to the GoFundMe that was set up to fund the private border wall, which turned out to be a giant scam, which (laughs) you should have seen that one coming. So obviously the jokes were that we went from Mexico is going to pay for the wall to you're paying for the wall to we're pardoning the guy that tricked you into paying for the wall, but you didn't really pay for the wall. So Steve Bannon got his pardon. Um, Elliot Broidy, who was a big Trump supporter financially, got his pardon. And those two are notable because of some plans that Trump has at the moment that I think both of those guys tie into. Um, Little Wayne got a pardon for his, his gun charge. That's cool. Um, but it, aside from, from those, there were a lot of good pardons. There was a lot of pardons for nonviolent drug offenses and for minor white collar crime, which I will give him credit for that. Those are people that don't belong in jail. Like nonviolent drug offenses should not be doing prison time. Minor white collar offenses, this should be fines and probation. This should not be prison time, especially not federal prison time. So I will give him his props for that. The one one good thing he did on the way out, plus also just leaving without making a massive stink about it. So that's that is that for that. <laughs> It was a weird week. It was just a really weird week. So going forward to stuff that is going to be happening in the near future, or maybe at least hopefully not happening in the near future, in the wake of the Capitol riots, there's been rumors and talk about how we need a new domestic terrorism bill. Uh, Joe Biden is a fan of domestic terrorism bills. He has taken responsibility for the Patriot Act. He has said that it is his bill. And to be fair, a good chunk of that was actually from a bill that he wrote in the wake of the Oklahoma City bombing. So him taking credit for the Patriot Act is not entirely unwarranted. But here's where I hold out a little bit of hope. Um, As I'm sure everybody will remember, in the wake of 9-11, the Patriot Act passed almost unanimously. It looks like right now, and this is what's going to be so interesting about a Biden administration is there is pushback on the idea of doing a domestic terrorism bill because obviously no we we don't need another bill to have made criminal what happened on January 6th due to the fact that the FBI is arresting people and the DOJ is, is going forward with charges obviously all of those things were already illegal this isn't a situation where we had to sit around and be like oh well damn I wish there was some kind of you know crime we could charge these people with all of this shit was already illegal what are you going to do make it more illegal no that's not what's going to happen you know what's going to happen it's going to be the Patriot Act all over again but this time around we've actually got some friends the progressive wing of the Democratic Party <laughs> Rashida Tlaib issued a letter speaking out against the idea of making another domestic terrorism bill. And I believe it's got 26 signatures so far. Um, A lot of the progressive wing has spoken out against this. Jacobin actually wrote a piece about how this would be a very bad idea. And they point out, to their credit, they point out the history of such bills and how these sorts of things, these sorts of programs are used not only to attack domestic terrorists, however however you want to define that first and foremost, but that these sorts of things are always used against progressive movements. So there is a little bit of awareness from the progressive wing of the party that 
you know, if we did such a thing, if we did pass a domestic terrorism bill, this is going to come back on us too. Like this is going to be used to target our movements and our supporters. It's not just going to be capital writers. It's going to be BLM. It's going to be DSA. It's going it's going to be our people too. So we should speak out against it. So you know, obviously that on top of all the libertarians and the civil libertarians who look at everything that happened after 9-11 are just like, Jesus Christ, God, no, let's not do this again. I believe that because we do have a little bit more pushback this time, that fingers crossed we won't get a domestic terrorism bill because that's that's a whole, whole nother ball of wax. And this is why when... When, when a lot of us started pushing back on the idea of the Trump administration labeling Antifa a terrorist organization, this is why. Like, because when you start making those sorts of distinctions, when you start saying that this group that technically, like, they're not an organization, like, you don't sign up to become Antifa, like, you don't pay dues, you don't get a, like, membership card or anything, like, this, this, this group of people, and you want to label them terrorists, well, guess what? Then you could also label the Capitol rioters terrorists. Maybe you can label QAnon domestic terrorists. Maybe just basically pick a group of people and you can say, hey, those are domestic terrorists. And so let's use the whole weight of the state surveillance apparatus against these people because we don't like them. Progressives understand that this is a bad idea. So the Biden administration is going to make for some very strange bedfellows. I can see this already, especially on the topics of things like civil liberties like that. Um, There's a lot of very bothersome calls for censorship coming from all sorts of people. And I will be writing about that. But yeah, there's there's definitely a tone of censoriousness that's creeping in. And I'm, I'm thinking that we can get some progressive pushback on that too. Because of course, again, just like they're aware of the fact that the state has targeted progressive organizations before, they can also see where if you set up these sort of censorship uh, on a government level, on on an even more like granular level, it's going to be used against them too. Like they're aware of that. So fingers crossed that, 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 that there's enough pushback against the domestic terrorism bill to kind of kill that in the womb. Um, impeachment. Yes, this seems to be going forward, although exactly when, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Nancy Pelosi is supposed to be handing over the articles of impeachment on Monday the 25th, but both Schumer and McConnell seem to be perfectly happy letting that marinate for a little while, so it's not going to be taken up next week. (laughs) You know how I told you guys last week that I really think that Mitch McConnell is doing this on purpose because he wants to get rid of Trump and he wants to do it in a way that keeps his hands as clean as humanly possible? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think Mitch McConnell knows that there's a lot of shit that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks and he is perfectly fine with just sitting back and chilling and letting all this stuff become public knowledge, and then then maybe having the impeachment trial. Because as we find out, um, I believe the New York Times first reported on this, that Donald Trump tried to push out Jeff Rosen, who Jeff Rosen took Bill Barr's place when Barr resigned. So now kind of set up this, this sequence of events in your mind. Barr resigns 
due to nobody's ever really explained, but it was rumored that Barr left because he knew of some impending activities that he did not agree with and that he did not want his name attached to, so that's why he's left. Jeff Rosen was his replacement. Uh, Barr felt comfortable leaving with Rosen as his replacement because he felt like Rosen would serve in that same capacity as him as far as objecting to certain activities that were kind of in the plans. So we find out that there was an effort to push Rosen out and install somebody at the head of the DOJ who would be more amenable to Trump's attempts to overturn the election up to and including the Department of Justice to appeal to the Supreme Court directly to get them to overturn the results of the November election. Whew. Yeah, that's, um, I, I don't know what else you guys want to call this, but, um, I mean, you can use the C word, you can use the I word. Um, it ain't good. And the longer this goes and the more information that comes out and the more people start talking, the more this really starts to look like he was really, really trying to overturn the results of the election. And so Mitch McConnell obviously has been in Washington, D.C. for decades and decades and decades. I imagine there's not a whole hell of a lot that goes on that he doesn't hear about. So I'm sure he was aware that this plot was afoot to shove out Rosen and put in somebody who would pursue the election fraud cases that Trump wanted Barr and Rosen to pursue. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody told him that. And so he knows that. And he knows this is going to come out. So he's just like, all right, I'll just, whatever. We can wait. Wait two weeks, wait three weeks. I don't give a shit. Because the longer this goes on, the worse Trump looks and the closer you can possibly get to flipping enough Republicans to get him impeached. I, I gotta say, I respect the game. I, I mean, that's just, man. Don't fuck with people who have been in D.C. for a long time. They know how to play this game. So when we will get an impeachment trial in the Senate, don't entirely know yet, but probably sometime February, maybe early to mid. Because like I said, not, not neither... Schumer nor McConnell is in a big rush because it behooves both of them for more damning information to come out before you hold the Senate trial. So they're both happy to sit on it until such a time as they are ready to do it. But what I want to finish up with is this idea that Trump has floated of starting his home political party, the Patriot Party. And... (laughs) I'm trying to figure out exactly what they're trying to do here. Um, <laughs> if this is supposed to be like a faction in the GOP or if they're legit trying to start another party, which, you know what? If they're legitimately trying to start another party, go for it. Have at it. Go ahead and do all the things that you need to do on the state level to be recognized as a political party. You know, you have 50 states, you got 50 different groups of people that you have to appeal to. You've got all these different criteria that you have to meet in each state in order to be recognized as a political party for someone to run with the P behind their name. So first of all, you do all that. Actually, probably before you do that, you got to sit down and figure out 
exactly how you want to structure your political party. How are you going to handle official officers? How are you going to pick your president and vice president? Uh, You also have to set up state and local chapters because usually in a state you have to have a certain number of people who are already part of your political party in order to be recognized as a political party. So you got to do all that stuff, all that fun, not sexy, sluggish stuff. And then, then once you get all that going and you, (laughs) you get recognized in all 50 states. And by the way, this is not a quick process if you didn't notice before. Then, then you've got ballot access. Yeah. I don't know if they know that you don't just get to be on the ballot wherever you want. That's that's a lot of work. And (laughs) more power to them if they want to do it. But I really don't see that lasting longer than about 15 minutes after they figure out that this is not going to be done by 2022, let alone 2024, let alone 2030. (laughs) Building a third party takes a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of money, and Donald Trump is not known for his long attention span here. So I don't know. There, there seems to be this idea that the, whoever runs in the Patriot Party is going to primary Republicans, which that's not how primaries work. I don't know. It seems a hot mess right now, but hey, if they want to go for it, do it. Go ahead. Because the idea seems to be that a bunch of people will leave the GOP to go be part of the Patriot Party, which, let me tell you something. (laughs) Oh, every libertarian is laughing right now because we know, we already know, (laughs) you're not going to get people to leave the party to go run on your third party platform. Like, they don't do that. When push comes to shove, people don't leave the party to go run on a third party platform. People don't abandon they're one of two major political parties to go vote for a third party. So, yeah, that's that's kind of um, dooming the whole movement <laughs> to oblivion because you're not going to be on any ballots and I don't know how many people are actually going to run. But they're welcome to it. Go for it. Have fun. But that about sums up this last week. Um... We shall see what the next couple of weeks bring. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff on the table, a lot of stuff to be addressed. So I will go ahead and wrap this up for this week. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Substack page. Take care and until next time.